Anything Ghost, number 288. Welcome to Anything Ghost. My name is Lex Wall. Anything Ghost is a place where people share their personal, paranormal experiences, and I share them with you on the show. If you have one to share, send it to Lex at anythingghost.com. You're embarking on the December episode of Anything Ghost, so stick around for some ghost stories to put a chill up your spine as you sit in front of a fire on a cold December evening. We're going to start things off with a story. It's actually two stories from Jennifer in Missouri City, Texas. A haunted church and Victoria's parlor. Haunted church. When my twin sister and I were kids, we went to a church that is today a fairly prominent and well-known church in a fluent area of Dallas, Texas. I recently reviewed their website and it says the church has been around for 80 years. I'm not sure how old the building is, but it looks to be around the same age. At the time of this incident, I believe my sister and I were around eight years old. That would have been the late 1970s. In writing this, I just realized the haunting would have happened not long before my sister and I moved to a haunted house in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, that I told you about in episode 284. We had just attended church service, and being kids, and being bored with our mother conversing with other adults, we decided to go explore the back halls of this very large church. In the church, there was a small pool where people were baptized. It was probably no larger than four feet wide by eight feet long. It was in the same hall where the worship service was held, but high up on a balcony above the stage overlooking the pews. It had a glass front so everyone could see the baptisms while they were taking place. We really wanted to check out the small room that was up there, so me, my sister, and another friend searched until we found a door that, when open, contained a very narrow staircase. The staircase was very long and completely enclosed between walls. It was dark. It was very creepy. But we wanted to go up there into that room, so we started climbing the stairs. We were almost at the top of the stairs and getting more and more creeped when we suddenly heard a very young boy scream. He sounded serious, like something really terrible was happening to him. It sounded like it was very close and coming from the top of the stairs. I should also point out that the small room with the baptism pool was the only room at the top of the stairs. It didn't go to any other area of the church, just that room for baptisms overlooking the worship hall. So if there was a boy screaming, he would have had to have been in that room. We were already scared because we were in the dark, and I think we were feeling something off in that staircase. It just felt really creepy. So of course we immediately turned around and ran down the stairs as fast as we could. It was a long staircase, so it felt like we would never make it down, but we finally did. My poor sister was the last one down, and she was unintentionally left behind. Once we got to the bottom of the stairs, we ran through a door into another small empty room. Then there was one more set of double doors that we had to go through to get to the safety of our parents. We ran for those doors, not realizing we completely left behind my sister. My sister was obviously petrified being the last person and left behind on the stairs. She ran as fast as she could, but she couldn't keep up with us and was left alone on the dark stairs. Once she got to the bottom of the stairs, she ran into the small room where we had been. For some reason, she immediately looked up and saw a dark mass hovering in the corner of the ceiling. She just stared at it and could not take her eyes off of it. 
Then she entered the double doors to safety. She said it was terrifying. As adults, we have discussed what it could have been. I have always thought that the boy screaming was not really a boy, but something like a spirit trying to scare us away because we were doing something we were not supposed to be doing. But the scream did sound real. My sister always thought maybe there was a little boy up there and someone was hurting him, and the black mass was trying to warn us. I really hope that was not the case. It was a terrifying experience for me, but much more for my sister who saw the dark mass, which she thinks was some kind of spirit or entity. Little did we know we were about to move to a house where we would be petrified on a nightly basis. I guess this was just a primer for things to come. Victoria's Parlor My husband and I moved to Bogosa Springs, Colorado in 1999 so my husband could help open a business for his parents. We lived there about four or five years, and at the time I was working in the restaurant industry. I worked at a little breakfast and lunch place called Victoria's Parlor near downtown Pagosa for a while. The restaurant was in an old Victorian-style house built in 1896. The owners were a very nice conservative elderly couple. They had the restaurant on one side of the house, and then a gift shop for tourists on the other side. Inside the house, a long hall separated the restaurant from the gift shop. It was one of the oldest buildings in Pagosa and had many different businesses over the years. But it's also haunted. And the creepiest thing about it was that it used to be a mortuary. On the restaurant side, there was a small door in the floor that opened up to a steep set of stairs that went down into the basement. We kept all of our dry goods for the restaurant down there. That was where one of the restaurant owners first encountered a female spirit. The owners have experienced a lot of activity in the hallway between the restaurant and the gift shop. They were Catholics, so they had a priest come by to do a blessing of the restaurant after the first sighting of the spirit but I believe they did see her again after that. I used to have to climb down into that hole in the floor on a daily basis, by myself, to get things we needed for the restaurant for the day. Imagine knowing there's a ghost down there, and that bodies used to be stored down there, but still having to go trek into that dark basement by yourself every day. I didn't mess around when I was getting supplies in that basement, and spent as little time as possible down there. Anyway, I worked there for a good while and had not had any experiences. We had a very small kitchen and always had two cooks and usually two or three servers. Sometimes I cooked and sometimes I waited tables. One of the cooks came in around 5 a.m. before anyone else. She would open up and follow the same procedure. She would go into the kitchen and put her personal belongings away go outside to another little house out back where we had another freezer and pull the food she needed for the day. Then she would go back to the kitchen, turn on her radio and her fan, and start working. One day in particular, after she performed her usual routine, she came back into the kitchen, and the radio and fan had already been turned on for her. She had just been in the kitchen a few minutes before, and the radio and fan were turned off, and she was the only person there. That happened to her multiple times while she worked there. The cook told us what had happened, and we all started talking about ghosts and how we should stay in the house overnight one night and see what happens. Even the owner said she was up for it. Right around that same time, one morning, a group of us were standing talking before the restaurant opened. We were next to a large tea urn, one of those tall, round, metal, self-serve kind you might see in a restaurant. It had a lid on it, and nothing was brewing. We were all in a circle next to the urn, so it was in everyone's line of sight. Suddenly, the lid on the urn flew straight off and straight out two or three feet, 
and then abruptly stopped and dropped straight down to the floor. It was so weird. As it flew, it did not curve down toward the floor as things would, but it just flew straight out, stopped, and then dropped straight down. It absolutely did not fall off that urn by accident, and we all immediately knew that. We all stopped talking and looked at each other with our mouths wide open. I remember thinking that we might be getting more activity because we all just started talking about the ghost. I think all the talk may have riled it up. We never did have that sleepover, but I wish we had. If you ever go to Pagosa Springs, Colorado, the house is still there. It's now a brewery called Riff Raff. I have not been there, but from what I have read, the new owners say the place is still haunted. My sister recently went to Pagosa on a vacation and visited the brewery. She asked one of the waitresses about ghosts and told her about my experiences working there long ago. The waitress confirmed that the place is indeed still haunted, and they still have strange things happening. She even mentioned the female ghost that the owners of Victoria Parlors saw in the basement. I hope you enjoyed this story and get a chance to visit the haunted location one day. It's a beautiful town near a ski resort. And if you go, just an FYI, that the motel at the Hot Springs downtown is also haunted. Here's a story from Jessica in Columbus, Ohio. Ghostly noises in an old drafty house. I've been listening to your show for about five years now, and I'm a VIP member. My boyfriend and I moved into a new house back in April of this year. It's a large drafty house with high ceilings and has lots of space. It also sits on several acres of property. It needed a lot of work when we first bought it. Within the first week, as my boyfriend was putting together a piece of furniture late at night, he heard a noise in the corner of the room. As he looked up, he saw one of our empty boxes in the corner move. He suddenly felt a presence, and the hair on the back of his neck rose. I never felt anything like this, and I'm the believer. My boyfriend is a skeptic. Before moving into the house, we had been living in an apartment. In the apartment, I was used to hearing noises from other tenants, because we shared walls with several apartments. Normally, I'd hear soft voice fragments in people's TVs. However... After moving into the house, I continued to hear those noises at night, even though our TVs and electronic devices were all turned off when we went to bed. My boyfriend heard these noises as well. What we heard every night when we went to bed was a muffled TV right below us, coming from the basement. It sounded like a TV news reporter speaking, but we could never quite make out the words. I thought this was normal, as I was used to hearing these sounds in our apartment. But then after a few weeks, I realized that we didn't share walls with anyone anymore because we didn't live in an apartment. It was then I started to become afraid. We have a music player in the basement, but it's unplugged, so that couldn't be the source. That happened for a few months before I decided to sage the house. After I saged the house, we only heard that noise a few more times. Something else happened one night as I was falling asleep. I heard a fragment of a voice in the hallway. I thought I was just hearing things, so I tried to go back to sleep. But then I very clearly heard the same voice say, Hello? It was a female's voice and it sounded almost robotic. I woke up my boyfriend and asked him to go check it out. There was no one in the house. It took me a while to fall asleep after that. One night, my boyfriend and I woke up around 3 a.m. and heard a robotic noise in our living room. He went to investigate, and there he heard a rrrr. 
like a growling. But it was like it was being played on repeat. It repeated several times and then stopped. And thank you for your story, Jessica. And she mentioned the Anything Ghost VIP group at the beginning. And Anything Ghost has free 10 episodes, 10 free episodes that are available to you. But if you want to hear the complete archive dating back to 2006 with a lot of great creepy stories like this every single Halloween show, then you got to join the Anything Ghost VIP group. I house it on a website, and you can find out more information by going to anythingghost.com and then go to the, I think it's Join VIP group or something like that, but you'll see it up there. There's a link for it. Click on that or tap on it, and it'll give you more information. Anythingghost.com. And here's a short story from Maureen in San Antonio, Texas. Ghost in Puerto Rico. I'm always listening to your show and have submitted a story before this one. It's about my mom and aunt, and it happened in Puerto Rico in 1964. My mom was 16 and my aunt was 15 at the time this happened. It was a Sunday night, and the two went to bed around 10 p.m. Later that evening, around 3 a.m., they heard a knock on the front door. Their dad got up and went to go check, since to get into the house... A very heavy gate had to be opened, and no one had heard anything. When my dad got up to the front door, he looked through the glass door and saw a thin, tall man with a top hat. He looked to be over six feet tall. He had a cane and was dressed in a black suit. The man just stood there and stared inside the house. The father yelled at this man to get off his property. By that time, my mom and aunt were awake and cowering behind the door from the room. Their dad had had enough and was going to open the door to kick the stranger out. But whatever that thing was just disappeared. And here's a self-narrated story. This is from Emily in California. Dorm Ghost in California. Hello, Lex, and to all the listeners out there. Um, My name's Emily. I'm in California, and I'm a new listener Uh, just in the last year or so have stumbled upon this podcast and I just so much appreciate that it feels like we're all at a campfire sharing our experiences with one another uh, very intimate and lovely and I'm just gets you know so much out of hearing everyone's stories and uh, sometimes when I'm on a run I'll be listening and it makes me go a little bit faster because it's so dang spooky but anyways Um, figured it was my turn to share my experience with, uh, everybody. Um, so I went to school, I went to a college in California, um, and this is my freshman year. Uh, I was staying in a dorm that, um, hadn't been renovated in quite some time, and one of the rumors was that some benefactor, someone who gave a lot of money to the to the college, um, asked that it not be renovated, which was just a strange rumor and no idea what it means. Um, but as a result, it wasn't the nicest space. Um, there was, you know, mold and, um, other issues in the building. So, I mean, we didn't care though. We were, we were thrilled to be there. It was our first, you know, breaking away from our families. It's kind of like stepping into adulthood and all of the great feelings that come with that and the freedom and the energy and, um, that I don't really have to check in with anyone ever. It's like, I just remember that being novel and exciting. And we were, uh, approaching Halloween. It was our first Halloween on campus. And, uh, my roommate and I were thrilled and just so looking forward to it. And it doubles as my birthday. And, uh, my boyfriend at the time, uh, we were seeing each other long distance and he came into town for that weekend to spend time with me. And, um, so, uh, the room that we lived in, it was set up for three roommates, but our third roommate just never showed up. So it was just my roommate and I, um, but there were three beds. So, um, when you first walked into the room, there was a bed on wheels that was right next to the door and then some space and then bunk beds right up against the window. Um, but if you look to your left, there was a wall where our closet was, and then my desk, 
well, excuse me, my roommate's closet, my desk, my, my closet, and then the door to the bathroom. So the way we'd set it up was my roommate was on the bed with wheels and I slept on the bottom bunk. And so when my boyfriend was visiting, we couldn't really fit in the bottom bunk, uh, the two of us comfortably. So we made this cute little nest on the floor, pulling, you know, um, mattresses onto the floor so that we could sleep comfortably. Uh, and this was the night before Halloween, excuse me. So we go to sleep and, um, I wake up in the middle of the night and am wide awake and it was very strange and uh, jarring to be awake so quickly and, uh, could immediately tell that it was very quiet in the room. It was like the whole room had been wrapped in saran wrap. It was the feeling that, um, the best way I can describe it. And my boyfriend, I noticed, but didn't realize at the time it might be significant that he was so still that I could barely tell he was breathing, which was very unusual for him because he, when he would snore, like the, all the walls would tremble. (laughs) He was such a loud sleeper. So the fact that I couldn't even feel him stirring next to me, uh, was strange Um, and I just, you know, I'm looking around the room and I notice in front of my roommate's uh, uh, closet, it looks like she's standing there and she has her hair wrapped in a towel. And I didn't know what time it was, but that wasn't an uncommon thing for me to see because she was a swimmer and you swimmers get up at 5am and go and jump in a freezing cold pool. I'll never understand it. (laughs) But she kept up with it. She loved it. So it wouldn't be unusual to see her, you know, before the sun was up, um, just with a towel and and going about her day after swim practice. Um, So at first it didn't strike me as strange. And then I noticed that it actually wasn't a towel at all. Um, And at this point it had started moving. And it was moving away from my roommate's closet and floating over my desk, which I, my brain was not catching up at this point. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know what to do or my brain wasn't even working. So I was just watching this thing float over my desk and it changed shape. So it at first looked like a woman with, uh, something wrapped in her hair. And now I noticed that there is no bottom half and suddenly it looks just like the bodice of a dress. There um, aren't any arms that I can see. There's no head, no legs, no bottom half to the dress. It's just a bodice, Um, which was, I mean, very strange. Uh, And it continued through the air. It was floating probably at the height of a standing person where their torso would be. And it was moving so steadily, it didn't go up, it didn't go down, it didn't speed up or slow down, it just moved at this eerily steady pace. And so, of course, I closed my eyes and I rubbed them, and I opened them again and blink, 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 and nothing has changed and it's still just steadily moving, though it is changing shape, and now I can't really tell what it is. Um, It's just kind of a shadowy something but it still doesn't have a bottom half and it's floating past my closet now and then floats past the bathroom door, turns the corner and starts to float directly through the top bunk bed. And at this point, I'm freaking out. I have no idea what's happening, but I know that this thing is there and it just floated through something like, what the heck? So I close my eyes. Only thing I can think to do because I'm frozen with fear. I can't move. My heart is pounding in my throat. I just, I close my eyes and I start thinking, hoping this thing can understand my thoughts. Um, who knows? And so I just started thinking, please, please just know I'm a good person. My boyfriend's a really good person. My roommate's a really good person. We live here, but you know, we don't have to be here right now if you want us to leave. Like, I am terrified. And then I just, my brain goes blank. I don't know what else to think or say. Open my eyes. Some time had passed. I, I think, I feel like it's been hours, probably just moments, but I open my eyes and now it's floating over my roommate's bed. 
she's fast asleep still. And this thing is floating over her head. Um, oh my gosh, it was so terrifying. And it, it turns the corner and then floats by our door that goes out into the hallway and floats back into my roommate's closet and disappears. So it had just done a perimeter, um, very slowly and made its way back to her closet and disappears. And I'm sitting there for again, what feels like an eternity and finally get enough breath in my lungs and enough uh, courage to say my boyfriend's name a couple of times because again, he was so fast asleep, he wasn't moving. And I turn a little and shake his arm. He wakes up and then I couldn't get up. I was so scared. I woke up my roommate because she was right by the uh, the light switch and she went and turned it on. And as soon as they turned on the light, I lost it. I was so scared. I just started crying. I told them what happened and they were both shaken by what I said. Um, and yeah, we didn't sleep in that bed or that uh, room the next night we stayed with our roommates, or not our roommates, the friends down the hall. Um, and then I went in, you know, the next day after and had a conversation with whatever was there. I felt very silly, but it I think was something I needed to do just for my own comfort. And I let her know, look, I understand if you're here while we're here, please do not do that to me again. I don't think my heart could take it. It was terrifying. I understand if, you know, you, yeah, if you live here, cool. Just, just don't do that again. That was too much. And she never appeared again. Um, it was the only time. And that, that year, my school was celebrating its centennial. Um, it had been around for 100 years. And so there were women that had gone to this school um, the first year, I don't even remember what the first year was that women went to this school, but there were, there was a picture of them in my dorm and there were 11 of them total. And they all had dresses on that were very similar because, you know, during that time, bodice of a dress, long skirts. Um, and I always wonder, you know, maybe she was one of them. Um, but anyway, that's my story. I, again, so appreciate this podcast and, uh, Everybody take care. When the holidays begin to make me feel like I've been boiled with my own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through my heart, I take a step back from the tombstone, open the Best Fiends app, and happily escape the holiday madness floating away into the night with a game or three or four or five of Best Fiends, until the ghost of Christmas yet to come dwindles down into a bedpost. Most of you know how obsessed I am with Best Fiends. I'm currently at level 2248 and moving steadily upward to my goal of Mount Boom, which I can see looming in the not far away distance. The colorful board with its personality-filled fiend and slug characters makes playing the game of Best Fiends such a treat. I want to keep playing so I can discover other hidden gems Best Fiends has to offer, and Best Fiends is always updating, so there's always a fresh challenge waiting for me. So if you want to get the Scrooge out of your holiday humdrum, take my advice and get the free-to-download Match 3 game, Best Fiends. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Carrying on now with a story from Nona in North Carolina. Christmas lights are lovely. This story was relayed to me back in Christmas of 2017, less than four months before my 23-year-old son was killed, and it gives me great comfort. In 2010, I was having pain and swelling in my leg for several weeks. I went to ER and, after an ultrasound, found that I had a blood clot. I was put on blood thinner therapy until the clot cleared and was told that I was lucky it hadn't broken off and gone to my heart lungs, or brain. Fast forward seven years later to 2017. We had moved to a suburb of Nashville, Tennessee, to be near our 23-year-old son. It was a few weeks before Christmas, 
and I was having a terrible pain in the same leg. I went to bed, but it was hurting so badly I couldn't sleep. My son talked me into going to ER and insisted he would drive me there despite having to work early the next morning. After I checked in and was seen by the ER doctor, he ordered an ultrasound, and the tech had to be called in from home. The imaging clinic from the ultrasound was on the opposite side of the basement floor of the hospital. The tech arrived and was nice despite having to come in. She insisted it was fine and would give her some overtime pay right before the holiday. She wheeled me on a mobile cart out of the ER and down a super long dark hallway with doors and cross hallways at regular intervals. Each time we came to a new section, the lights would come on and she would enter using her badge to unlock the auto swing doors. Each cross hall was dark, empty, and silent. It was a trek to her clinic, and I was starting to feel like I was in the opening scene from the Get Smart show. So many doors to go through. When we finally came to the imaging clinic at the end of a long hall, it was dark except for a Christmas tree with colored lights across from their nurse's station that had been left plugged in. The tech turned on the lights and got the room and machine prepped. After she scanned my leg and was prepping the cart to take me back to ER, I asked her if she was ever spooked to be called in at night, since it was dark and deserted, and it was just her and me at that part of the hospital. She nodded and said that a few years earlier, she had been called in for a patient scan again, just before Christmas. She had completed the scan and returned the patient to ER. She had come back to clean up her treatment room, when out of the corner of her eye she saw someone standing out by the Christmas tree in the dark lobby. She poked her head out and saw a young man standing next to the Christmas tree, touching one of the several or more colored lights on the tree. She went to pull off her gloves, toss them in the trash, and then step out into the lobby to tell this person they had to leave. But that's when she realized they were gone, completely disappeared. She called back to ER and asked them if any of their patients were missing. There were none. Then she began to think, and she asked them if anyone had passed away in ER that night. They replied to her that a young man had died about an hour ago. When she asked about what he looked like and what clothing he had been wearing, she realized that was who she saw at the Christmas tree a full hour or more after he had passed away. My son was killed the following March, and I have had more than one occasion where my husband and I have heard from him. I know with all certainty to my core that death is not the end and that we do go on. I was fine, by the way. It was just an infection. I have other stories and other experiences, but I thought this might be a good one for December. Take care and happy holidays. And this story is from Christine in San Francisco, California. Haunted Childhood Home. Hi Lex, this story takes place in my childhood home in San Francisco, California. Ever since I was a kid in elementary school, I've always had an interest in the paranormal. When it was library day at school, I would always try to find a book on ghosts to read. If there was anything on TV about the paranormal or ghosts, you would find me glued to the set. I had my first encounter with a ghost when I was eight years old. I can still remember clear as a day. It was an early Saturday morning and my mom and I were the only ones up. She was downstairs doing laundry and I was in the living room watching Saturday morning cartoons. I was sitting on the recliner in the living room watching the cartoons, and from where I was, I could see directly down our long hallway. To the left was the front door, basement door, and my parents' bedroom. To the right was my bedroom and bathroom. My mom came upstairs from doing laundry. She paused when she got in the hallway. 
looked at me, pointed upward, and said, The north wind. Then she walked into her bedroom. I was like, huh? And shrugged it off and continued watching cartoons. Not even a minute later, I heard someone running up the basement stairs. It was Mom, and she said, Oh my God, did you just feel that? Feel what? She said, The earthquake we just had. I told her no, that I hadn't felt anything. I started laughing and told her she was acting weird and explained to her about what had just happened. She looked at me like I was crazy and told me she never said the north wind and that she had not been upstairs until that moment. She went back to the basement to finish the laundry and I was still trying to comprehend what had just happened. Not once did I think it was a ghost. I just kind of shrugged it off. Now that I'm older, I know what I experienced was a ghost, and it creeps me out because she looked just like my mother, the same hairstyle as her, and was even wearing a long bathrobe like her. When I brought it up to my parents a few years ago, they agreed that it was probably the ghost of the house. I couldn't even believe that they said that. They told me they had many unexplained experiences, such as waking up in the morning and being on completely opposite sides of the beds. Their feet were on the pillows, and their heads where their feet should have been. After they told me that, I remembered it had also happened to my brother and me. It was the most terrifying thing to wake up upside down with your feet on the pillow. What's more scary was that my mom used to literally tuck us in super tight with the sheets in between the mattress and the box spring. So how we turned around in our beds, being tucked in that tight, was crazy. And this was an article from 1907, May of 1907, from the Washington Post. It's about haunted police stations in Chicago, Illinois. Ghost-Creating Consternation in Police Stations of the Windy City Six Chicago police stations are haunted. Spooks have been seen around some of the other stations at various times, but the six are haunted regularly. In one of these stations, a patrol wagon driver resigned his position rather than continue in the ghost-besieged headquarters where he was assigned to duty. In another station, one of the patrolmen attacked by a ghost while he was sleeping in the dog watch quarters upstairs, fired at his tormentor, and six gaping holes remain in the plastering yet as a silent tribute to his poor marksmanship. In still another station, a shadowy intruder so worked on the mind of a policeman that he was driven temporarily insane and had to be taken to the sanitarium. The Stockyards, Hyde Park, Grand Crossing, Englewood, Des Plaines, and New City Stations are haunted. Of these, the Stockyard Station is the favorite retreat for ghosts, and it is admitted by the captain and the subordinate officers assigned there that the agitation for a new building was kept up principally by the hope that the station ghosts would disappear with the old headquarters. Desk Sergeant William Prindeville, who has been at the Stockyard Station for more than ten years, has seen so many ghosts in his time that he has become used to them and rather enjoys their company. Old Soldier Dies in Basement The first ghost made its appearance at the Stockyard Station one winter five years ago and was first seen on the night following the death in the basement of an old soldier. The old fellow, worn out by a long tramp through the snow, entered the station shortly after midnight and asked to be allowed to remain all night. Sergeant Prindeville, who was on duty at the time, told him to go into the basement where the Bojacks, as they were known to the police, were sent when they asked for a night's lodging. The veteran of many hard-fought battles dragged his weary body into the warm basement and in a few minutes was curled up in what proved to be his last moment. Early the next morning, a number of regulars who had seen him enter the basement the night before found him dead 
and reported his death to the officers upstairs. The next night, when Sergeant Prindeville sat dozing in his chair, waiting for the dawn to break the night watch and send him home for breakfast, he was startled to hear a slight rap on the door. The night was stormy, and the sergeant thought it was the wind. Listening carefully, he heard the rapping again on the door and went to open it. As he turned the knob, a flurry of snow was whipped into his face, and through this, in the half-light, he saw the outlines of the same old soldier that had asked him for a night's lodging on the previous night. Knowing as he did that the man had died the night before, Prindeville realized at once he was facing a ghost. At that time, he had never met with a visitor from the shadowy world and was frightened out of his wits when the old soldier's spirit stood before him. Ghost Comes in a Snowstorm The next morning when the sergeant told the other officers of his experience, they refused to believe him, saying that he must have mistaken the whirling snow flurries for a figure of an old soldier. After that, however, Prindeville watched for the ghost, and he declares yet that Every winter, when there is a snowstorm, the same old soldier comes to the station door, raps, and then walks away. The sergeant says that he often speaks to the ghost when it appears, but that he never has been able to get an answer. Detective John Shea, one of the most reliable and trustworthy officers at the Hyde Park station, nearly shot the rear end out of a police station one night, when a ghost invaded the sleeping quarters on the third floor. Shea had gone to bed shortly after midnight and was sleeping soundly around two o'clock when he was aroused by something tugging at the bed covers. The room was pitch dark and Shea, who was only half awake, did nothing more at first than to reach down with one hand after the disappearing bedclothes. A few minutes later, the quilts again were pulled from the bed and the police officer, thoroughly awake, thought that somebody was trying to play a joke on him. This time, the policeman lay with his eyes open, watching for the intruder, and determined, if anyone appeared, to shoot his revolver into the ceiling to show that he too enjoyed the fun. As he lay thus, with his fingers tightly gripping the handle of the revolver, he was horrified to see a genuine ghost step from behind a clothes locker and approach his bed. Shea said the intruder was shaped like a woman, except that it only had one eye, which shone with a blue sort of light. Stealthily approaching his bed, until it stood within a foot of him, the ghost slowly put out a hand toward him. By that time, Shay, who would rather chase an armed highwayman into a dark alley than eat, was as cold as an icicle and was clutching his revolver handle so firmly that his fingers are bent yet from pressure. Slowly, the extended hand of the ghost gathered up the corners of his bed quilts and slowly pulled them down from him onto the floor. The ghost retreated to its position behind the locker, where it could watch him with one blue eye until he gathered up the quilts again. Shea declares with all the vigor he can summon that he lay there eyeing that ghost for an hour. By that time, he says his courage returned to him, and with his gathering strength, he leveled his revolver at the hideous eye before him and then jerked at the trigger. With the shooting, there was a commotion down the stairs where the other nightmen were playing cards and across the street in the Holland Hotel where hundreds of guests were sleeping. With strides that cleared a half a dozen steps at a time, Shay's fellow officers ran up to where he was sleeping and turned on the lights. Then, with the perspiration dripping from him, Shay pointed to the plastering on the south wall of the room where six large holes had been bored by the bullets from his revolver and uttered the word, Ghost. Ghost Takes Harness from Horses Patrol wagon driver Thomas Murnane threw up his job at the Grand Crossing Station rather than put up with the ghosts that make their headquarters there. 
Until a year ago, when Murnane resigned, a ghost appeared regularly at the station every night and found its chief delight in taking the harnesses off the patrol wagon horses. As required by the rules of the department, one team of horses is kept harnessed all night, and Murnane declared before he left the service that the black figure of a man entered the barn every night and calmly removed the harness from his team. Murnane and two other men who worked on the wagon with him always went to sleep between the night runs of the wagon, and on one of these occasions when he was new in the work, the driver said he was lying on his cot thinking about what a man ought to do to become a good policeman when he noticed a man walk into a stall occupied by his team and remove the harness from the backs of the horses. In the darkness, Murnane thought the man was one of the police officers, and perhaps Murnane had been wrongly told to keep the horses harnessed all night. The next morning, he told the other men what he had seen, and they only laughed at him, explaining that the visitor was probably Johnny Reeves. Murnane had never heard of Johnny Reeves, but not caring to display his ignorance, he said nothing further about it at the time. Later that day, though, he asked one of the police officers at the station about Reeves, and he was told he had been a tramp who died one night while sleeping in the barn. Murnane was then convinced he had seen a real ghost. Every night then forth, Johnny Reeves walked into a stall occupied by Murnane's horses and removed their harnesses. The patrol wagon driver, frightened out of his wits by the intrusions of the ghost, tried in vain to sleep as the other men did. Every night he told them afterward he lay in a cold sweat watching the intruder, and finally after he had worried himself sick, Murnane wrote out his resignation and with its acceptance forsook his long-cherished ambition to become a policeman. At the Grand Crossing Station, it is said that Johnny Reeves appears yet, occasionally, in the station barn where he takes the harness from the horses. Denny Lang, one of the plainclothes men at the Englewood Station, was pushed out of his bed and then chased several blocks down Wentworth Avenue in his nightclothes by a ghost one night last summer. Lang had been told that the ghost of a Polish laborer who had been killed by a switch engine on the Rock Island tracks, which was just back of the station, had taken up its residence in the dormitory on the second floor, and it carried a bag filled with brickbats with which to attack those who came near. Lang did not believe the story. He would sleep in the station just to show some of the cowards that no such things as ghosts existed. About an hour after he climbed into one of the iron cots provided for the men on reserve duty, Lang was startled by the heavy thumping on the floor under his bed. Peering out from under the covers to learn the nature of the disturbance, he was startled out of his wits to behold, over in the corner of the room, a life-sized ghost with fireballs for eyes and equipped with the bag of brickbats just as the other men had described him. Danny admits that he felt his courage oozing away and that he made up his mind at once that he'd better get out of there in a hurry. With one leap, he reached the head of the winding stairs and in two more was in the street and racing like wildfire down Wentworth Avenue, after him hurling brickbats that bounced uncomfortably close to his heels, followed the angry ghost. Since then, he has not slept in the station. Recently, the Englewood station was remodeled, and the men there say that with the changes, the ghost does not appear as frequently as he formerly did. Even yet, the officers at the station are weary about sleeping there, unless several of them are sleeping there together. Tramp's Ghost and Cell Number 3 East Chicago Avenue, the new city stations, both are haunted by ghosts. At Des Plaines Street several years ago, one tramp choked another one to death while they were confined in one of the cells, and since then, 
the spirit of the murdered man has reappeared regularly to disturb the rest of the prisoners confined in the station. Among the derelicts who make a habit of sleeping at the station in the winter time, there is a pronounced aversion to cell number three, where the tragedy took place, and not one of the old-timers will sleep there. They all say they would rather sleep in the street than in the cell, where they are roused awake by the groans of the murdered tramp. All right, that's it for the winter episode of Anything Ghost. I'll talk to you in January, in the new year, 2022, for Anything Ghost episode number 289. If you have a story you want to share, or a local ghost legend that you think is interesting and you'd like to share it, either record it yourself and send the uh, MP3 or audio file to lex at anythingghost.com, or type it up yourself and I'll read it, lex at anythingghost.com. Or go to the website and fill out the contact form at anythingghost.com. And thanks everybody for all your stories for the December episode of Anything Ghost. Have yourself a wonderful and safe holiday season. I'll talk to you in show number 289 in the new year. Until then, have a wonderful week and take care.